It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Counterculture. Again, I'm Jonathan Sanborn. I love being a part of something that is building connections and building bridges. And one of the reasons, one of the, the main reason I started this, this show was just I wanted to find and highlight the people who are standing in the gap, who are, uh, who are going in and building bridges between maybe groups that are often opposed to each other, whether it's intellectually or, or whatever the category is, and find those peacemakers, those bridge builders, and highlight their story and hear from them what makes them tick, how, what's, what, what's, what's happening in the space, and what's, what we can do moving forward. So today we're really excited to have uh, here Professor Barry Ritchie. Professor Ritchie teaches undergraduate and graduate physics at Arizona State University, and he's been doing that, uh, been involved there since 1984, a long time. Even back in my uh, Sun Devil days, I uh, graduated in uh, in 92, so he would have been around. He, um, he, incl- he has held top administration and faculty positions. Um, and very involved with the leadership uh, uh, in his department. He's a, a member of the American Physical Society with more than 200 refereed publications. Uh, Professor Ritchie's research specialty is experimental nuclear and particle physics. And uh, most recently, Professor Ritchie has been collaborating with the Arizona Center for Christian Studies to produce ASU's Conversations on Religion, Ethics, and Science, and that's uh, in partnership with the John Templeton Foundation. And there's a big event coming up which we can talk about in, in, in the next week, and so he'll tell us a little bit more about that. But Professor Ritchie, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, John. It's good to be with you. Well, really appreciate you calling in and being here and being a part of this. So we just as we get to know you, before we get into the, the conversation uh, and, and about, about you, we just like to ask uh, – we play a game called Fake News. And in Fake News, we, you tell us two things, one of which is true about yourself and one is not true about yourself. And my goal is to guess which one is which. So, so go. Let's get started. What tell tell us two things about yourself? Well, uh, in my driveway, I have a uh, brand new Tesla, and also the car I learned to drive in. Okay, Which now that do you think is is the real deal? Okay, so now that's interesting because both of them seem probable. But and I would guess a, a someone who loves science might appreciate a Tesla. It might you know might even pro- you've probably even written a book about Nikolai Tesla or something. But uh, but the car you learned in, I'm gonna say that the fake news is the Tesla because I'm I'm guessing you would all, you would lo- have a heart with your old car. Am I right? That's right. Woo! I have a car that my dad gave me when I learned to drive. Oh, my and goodness. it's up on jack stands now, but it, it, it will run when it has to. I do have a Prius, but I don't have a Tesla. Which <laughs> okay. No, I don't either. So what kind of car is it? It's a 1964 Chevrolet Bel Air. Oh, Ford Chevrolet. Door. With the fins on the on the back? Like the... No, they had, had pretty much uh, scoured the fins off of them by then. By then, so, okay. Uh, 
but uh, it's a big bulge mobile of a car. I mean, it's you, you can lay down and sleep in it. It's, it's big. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm just going to call you the Professor Prince of Bel Air. I don't know. I'm just I'm, just, I'm working on it. There, there you go. Okay. There you go. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Uh, my my first car was a Honda CRX, and I'm sure it's in a junkyard somewhere. So, <laughs> 1984. <laughs> okay. So tell me something I don't know about particle physics. Well, um, <laughs> which is pretty there, much there's anything. so much. I mean, so much I could go into, I guess. But um, uh, we're we're all made of quarks. How's that? We're all made of uh, these uh, particles that are smaller than a proton, smaller mm-hmm. than an atom. Uh, but we're all uh, most of our our mass is due to the quarks and how they interact. Ah. And so uh, a lot of people, when they had chemistry or whatever in, in high school, know the, know about atoms, and they know that you have sure. this nucleus with all of these electrons. Maybe you know that the nucleus itself is made up of, of protons and neutrons, but the protons and neutrons themselves are made up mm. of uh, little particles called quarks. Quarks. And so the research that I do, for the most part, uh, tries to understand how those quarks come together and interact uh, to uh, form these objects called protons and neutrons, which make atoms, which make molecules, which make cells, and which make peoples and universe. Well, now, that is something I did not know. I've heard the word quark, but I had, didn't really know the context. You know, I, most of my science comes from, like, science fiction movies and television, so I don't really – which is pretty, pretty bad information, so – <laughs> well, it can get you interested. It yes. can get you interested it, in the real stuff. It is a bridge, isn't it? So, yeah. so now what got you interested? Speaking of interested, what got you interested in becoming a professor of physics? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I, I think I, I always look back at uh, uh, being a Boy Scout, believe it or not. Hmm. Uh, I was fascinated with, uh, with uh, Space Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even wrote John Glenn a letter when I was a kid, oh, okay. uh, and uh, I uh, had uh, the Boy Scouts had introduced this uh, space exploration merit badge. Mm. So I decided I was going to be the first person in my council to get the space exploration merit badge. And the merit badge counselor was a, a woman that went to my church, but she was also the the uh, chemistry and physics teacher at the high school. And so I went in, and one of the questions was. Uh, how is it that uh, a satellite stays in orbit? And I said, well, you know, the, yeah, the velocity vector do this and the acceleration vector do that. And she said, hey, you know, you're talking about vectors. That's physics. You won't know about physics until you get to high school. And having <laughs> put a name to it, I realized, okay, that is really what I want to do. Interesting. And so uh, I think uh, Mrs. Dorothy Helms put me on this path. And Interesting. So, uh, yeah. Well, wow, a conversation like that changed the trajectory or the the vector of your life, correct? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Very cool. So, which is interesting because one of the reasons that many there are is a false dichotomy that often Christians and science don't mix. Is that have that been your background or upbringing or well, certainly I've, I've run into the, the attitude. I remember once being told by a friend at church that if I taught physics, I should teach Christian physics. And I told him, I, I don't think there's another kind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, and so 
Um, again, going back to uh, to high school years, uh, when I was in high school, you were required to take a uh, a unit on religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was yeah. half half sociology, half religion. Okay, and I remember the first day uh, going in when when we started the religion unit, the the, the definition of of religion was man's study of the forces behind the universe. Interesting. And I realized that that sounded an awful lot like physics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that, in fact, uh, that search for truth, that, that search for understanding, uh, is uh, a hallmark of religious faith, yes. just like it is in science. And so mm. we, uh, mm. we actually are pursuing... Uh, uh, understanding this world we live in, understanding how it works and all of those things in both of those. So I've never actually seen them opposed to each other, uh, whereas uh, certainly I've had colleagues who, uh, uh, you know, have disparaged faith, and for that matter, sure. I've had uh, friends in the Church that have disparaged science. But I, uh, I think uh, uh, each carries a bad reputation in the other camp. Yeah. And I don't think there's a real need for for that attitude in general. Right, right. I like the fact that you're bold in both. Or you're you're consistently both. You're not one or the other. You and you're not you don't have to diminish you don't have to diminish being a scientist or thinking scientifically in order to be a faith a faithful Christian. And they're they're just they're they're, they're so integrated in 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 what you do. So like for example, you wear a cross uh, on your lapel and uh, on campus in your job. Uh, why, That's right. Yeah. Why? As, as long as I've got a collar, I won't wear it on a T-shirt because it tears the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I always wear it on a collar. On your collar. Why do you, why why do you wear a cross? Well, a, a couple things. Uh, f- for me, first of all, uh, because uh, for me it gives me a way to uh, to profess my faith. Uh, and, and and also reminds me that that in one way or another I bear witness. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I think a lot of times there have been words that have caught right about the level of my collar. Yeah, what that I wanted to say, and I realized, well, you know, that's not something <laughs> I should be saying. Yeah, and so it, it works for me. But the other thing too is to try to to put a face uh, uh, with that cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I certainly work in an environment where there are fewer people of faith than I would encounter in the, the classes I teach on a Sunday morning. And uh, I, I, I want to at least be an example that uh, being a person of faith is, is, is not an impossibility if you're a scientist, if you're a professor right. at a university. And so... Uh, for my students and colleagues, uh, you know, let me tell you that sometimes they don't even notice. Right. Uh, you know, I right. remember uh, being at a party with a student. I'd had him for an entire year, and uh, I happened to mention, I can't remember exactly why I came up the, the cross on my collar, and he said, oh, when did you start wearing that? <laughs> and I said, I've worn it for the past 20 years. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, that's sort of the... the um, Part of the motivation, right? More than anything, it's a profession of faith, right? On but, my part, but they and notice so it, your it, words. It, oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Well, yeah, it 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 puts a responsibility, yeah, uh, on me. If, right. If 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 we are going to bear His name, if we are going to bear His cross, 
then we should be setting an example right. that people, uh, I remember uh, the, the uh, she used to be a singer, then she was a TV personality, but Sheila Walsh uh, made uh, used the expression that we need to lead a life that demands an explanation. Mm. Oh, I like that. Excellent. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. We have uh, with us uh, Professor Barry Ritchie from Arizona State, a professor of physics, and uh, we're having a great conversation. So how does your faith impact you as an academic, Not, um, like if being, you know, being logical, reasonable? How does your faith impact you as an academic? Well, it's first of all, it's we're in the world and not of the world, and so I am. I'm, I'm, I feel that uh, you know, being a Lutheran, we always talk about vocation. I certainly feel called to be in the university. Mm-hmm. I recognize that that is where uh, God has placed me. Uh, I, I feel that um, uh, again, it, it, it underscores that the way I conduct myself as a teacher. The way I conduct myself as a scientist, as, as a colleague, uh, should be in keeping with these motivations that uh, uh, are spoken up from that cross on my mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, I try to be compassionate. I try to be understanding. Uh, I want to make it very clear to you and to your listeners that I often fail. Sure, sure. That I am, I am, Me too. I am <laughs> by no means, yeah. Yeah. I, I am no means perfect. But uh, at the same time, too, if, if you, uh, if, we, we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if I am out there searching for the truth in science, uh, I am searching to find how God has done things. And mm. so it provides a motivation. Uh, as I study this world and as I teach about this world, that uh, in the words of, gosh, I don't remember who it was, but uh, thinking God's thoughts after him, mm-hmm. you know, uh, trying to to recognize that I'm, I'm talking about this incredible universe that uh, we've been given the great gift of life to live in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, in Roman, Romans teaches us that the nature, the universe itself, speaks to the character of God. Correct. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And yeah. uh, you know uh, that God has revealed Himself in creation, and that mm-hmm. we are without excuse. Mm-hmm. But that said, uh, you know, again, I certainly have many colleagues who aren't people of faith. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, again, I, I try to be a. Uh, an honest broker and good colleague uh, to all of my colleagues, believing or or not. Right, because you you were vice provost, which means you, uh, over over the faculty, correct? Yeah, that was about uh, three thousand thirty five hundred faculty and so, uh, of various wow. ranks and types. Right. So, how did you yeah. build bridges <clears throat> with some like faculty, maybe who didn't, who maybe were hostile towards religion? Well, um, you know, let me say, Jonathan, that they were never hostile. Okay. To me. Good. Okay. And and uh, yeah, if, if if they were hostile, it wasn't about religion. It was because of of some way that they felt they had been treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. And insofar as as I could, I tried to. Uh, to stand for fairness. Um, that said, it, the the role I was in was one that uh, uh, more you know many times you had to be the the bearer of bad news. 
But again, when I did that, I tried to be compassionate. I tried to uh, be honest, uh, mm-hmm. direct if I needed to be. But uh, you know, I, I think that was the way I tried to carry that out. I have to say that in in probably, I think it's been about a quarter of a century that I've worn a cross. I've had two negative reactions in 25 mm. years. Mm. And I, I've had, you know, more stink eyes in the supermarket than I've had negative right. reactions to wearing a cross. Yeah, interesting. And so uh, <laughs> maybe I've been blessed. Maybe God, I'm sure God's watched over me, but I just haven't had the negative reactions yeah. that I think some people expect if you make it clear that you're a person of faith. Well, that's that's great. And that tells to maybe that they're they're not they're seeing the cross, but they're seeing your character and maybe that's people often get maybe they they see that louder than they do see any symbol and that that isn't turning them off. It's probably attracting people because they're seeing a Christ-like character. Yeah, I mean, I had to experience once where I had uh, um done something uh, had had I put somebody forward for an award, and so they'd asked me to speak on their behalf at the ceremony, and they projected our pictures onto the screen, so it was like, you know, 75 feet high, there's my face. Yes. <laughs> okay. uh, and uh, a week or so later, somebody wrote me and said, hey, I, have, I was at that event, and I noticed you wore a cross. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And and so, you know, it, 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 it it's there, and, and, and people are going to see it in, in a number of different venues. And uh, you know, my hope is that uh, again, uh, I've I haven't done anything to uh, uh, embarrass Christ. That's fantastic. Well, I'm, that's encouraging, and that's part that's bridge building. You're you're not setting up walls. You're building. You're built. You're providing opportunity for connection. I really that's amazing. Okay, so now here's um, in looking at on the ground, many like let's just say. I, my kid is going away to college, and they've had church experience, and they're a Christian home. The statistics seem to be that there's a lot of ch- kids who go away to college and they lose their faith. Can uh, what do you think? Well, is that true? Have you have you had any experience with that? And is there anything that can be done about that? Well, I I, I think that um, um, I, 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 I first of all I want to say that. Uh, Professors get far more credit for things than they deserve when it comes to people losing their faith, or, right, right. or dishonor maybe than credit. Right. Um, I, I point out that uh, you know a lot of times they don't listen to us. Right. Um, but I think what is going to happen is that uh, you know your son or daughter will go off and encounter people who have uh, a, a, a no faith at all. Yes, or a very, uh, or a faith that's very shallow, or a faith that's very different. Right. And uh, if they have not been given a grounding, if they haven't been given the tools to understand their own beliefs, right, to defend those beliefs if necessary, um, or for that matter, if if they've decided that this really isn't something that is mine, and I don't want to live it out. Then they're they're very likely to to lose mm. their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, most universities, and certainly uh, Arizona State University, has literally dozens of of uh, religious organizations for students of right. of every every creed, and so the opportunities are there for students to uh, remain engaged 
with uh, students who share their faith. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the real interactions that go mm. on uh, among students are the drivers right. in students um, either keeping their faith or, or losing their faith. So I would certainly uh, encourage uh, parents to, to try to get their uh, son or daughter you know, plugged into the religious clubs on campus. Mm-hmm. And certainly if there's a church that they can get involved with, right. uh, you know, that's a very positive thing, too. Now, do I have colleagues who are, are atheists and are, uh, you know, to display those beliefs in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess I do. Yeah, uh, but I wear a cross into a classroom. Sure. Uh, so uh, it's it, you know I I think it's it's mainly that we have to to give uh, our uh, sons and daughters uh, reasons to believe. Yes. Uh, ways to understand and and to continue in growing in their faith as mm-hmm. they move mm-hmm. out of the house. And the ability to ask questions before they get to a, a – they leave your home. I have up and we encourage our daughters a lot to uh, challenge us and ask questions because at some point someone's going to challenge them and says, oh, really, there is a God? I don't think there is. And so we try to yeah. create that environment. Yeah, well, and, and if, if, if your, your kids don't ask you, you should ask them. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, again, coming out of the Lutheran background, uh, you know, we have a small catechism yeah. that – you should, it'll be questions and answers, but Luther's intent was that the father of the family would teach that. Mm, that this mm. wasn't the church's role, this was the family's role. Right. I mean, you go back into, you know, you read Proverbs, and the, the image that you get as you read Proverbs is how important the family is in terms of developing the values uh, for the next generation. Mm. And and so... Um, uh, it's it's critical to have that that family environment be a strong, nurturing environment for a kid's faith, and that includes the uh, for 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 kids to express their doubts, to express their concerns, those things. Mm. Excellent conversation. I'm loving this. We're get running down to just a few minutes left, and uh, I wanted to really spend the last bit of time hearing about this this upcoming event ASU, at ASU called. Conversations on Religion, Ethics, and Science. Could you tell me more about that? Sure. Okay. So um, the, the, the point of the project that was uh, put together with uh, Ben Sanders over at the Arizona Center for Christian Studies was to try to come to, to generate a number of conversations with key thinkers around issues of religions, ethics, and OES science. And so the first one that we have coming up on September 10th mm. is with uh, Rabbi Jonathan, Sa- Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. He's in the house. Rabbi Lord. Lord. I've never heard of a rabbi. That's awesome. That's right. He is actually <laughs> a, a Lord now, Lord Sachs, uh-huh. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Uh-huh. But Rabbi Sachs has written a book called uh, Morality, Restoring the Common Good in Divided Times. And he speaks about the current culture being a a time of of cultural climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, we we talk about weather and, and climate change, but he says that we we are in a a, a period of tremendous cultural mm-hmm. climate change, where in the past we have uh, built society on politics, uh, economics, mm-hmm. and morality. The morality leg is no longer a shared leg; it's gotten very weak, and so it's going to be a conversation with with uh, Rabbi Sachs 
and uh, four center directors at ASU. That's coming up on uh, September 10th. September and so 10th. if your, your listeners can uh, 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 search for Rabbi Sachs, uh, ASU, September 10th, uh, they can find uh, a link that will allow them to uh, uh, tune in and participate. And it's ultimately going to be up on uh, ASU's live stream and on YouTube. So okay. uh, they might look for it if they're not able to, to join us on September 10th. It's a bit of a... A logistical uh, rat trap to try to pull everything together. Oh. We have uh, the moderator of the conversation is going to be in uh, Australia. Oh my goodness! Uh, and Rabbi Sachs is going to be at, at his home in London. And oh my we're goodness! We're going to have people here in Phoenix, and so okay. we went through a uh, uh, just a, a technical run through uh, about an hour or so ago, and everything uh, everything worked beautifully. I think it's going to be a wonderful conversation, and so. I would really encourage uh, your listeners to to tune in to hear what uh, this group uh, uh, comes up with as they dig into, you know, how can we uh, deal with today's uh, uh, cultural climate change, the the suspicion, the dissension, the, yes. you know, you, you look at uh, Rabbi Sachs was saying that he had no idea that the things would yeah. be going on in the United States that are going on now in Portland and Kenosha, oh, uh, you know, and all of those things. There's been so much. It's cultural, cultural climate change. Great. So ASU's conversation on religion, ethics, and science. Search Google for ASU Rabbi Sachs. And uh, thank you so much, Professor Ritchie, for calling in and being a part of this conversation. It's an important conversation uh, that you're listening to Counterculture. And thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org. This program was sponsored by Care Portal.